0: again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets managing editor and media director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I have a rhetorical, what were the odds question for you, John? Uh, my wife is out of town. She had a planned mini vacation girls trip with her friends. What were the odds that while she's away, not just one of my kids, but both of my kids would be running fevers and staying home from school? Because whatever the odds were... I should have bet it.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, Eric. Uh, well, I'm an uncle 10 times over and now a great uh, uncle one time over as well. Uh, so my analysis from the cheap seats would have been uh, pegging that as close to even money. Uh, <laughs> I might have gotten greedy and parlayed with you and your dog also getting the same fever. But um, <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked. But I'm sure you stocked up on all the relevance. Relevant supplies in, in advance, so uh, you didn't have to make any annoying evening trip to the store or anything.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't stock up on them, but uh, uh, give my wife credit on that one; she always has the medicine cabinet well stocked. And and meanwhile, my my dog has been quite cooperative. Uh, he hasn't been needing to go out any more than usual, probably because it's so cold out. He's he's content to do his business uh, quickly. But uh, but my my son got into bed with me at two forty five in the morning, coughing and running a one oh three fever. Uh, I couldn't have gotten less sleep, even if I had a neon red Kenny Rogers roasters sign outside my window, uh, so I'm definitely podcasting under adverse conditions today. But you know, the Gamble on uh, fan base needs their pod, so uh, so we soldier on.
1: Well, let's get it going before uh, the worst happens.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. The cold could kick in at any moment. So uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 30 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 29 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And luckily for you, you can't find them on YouTube. Uh, Trust us, we are best when heard but not seen.
1: Uh, amen to that, Eric. Uh, and coming up a little later on the podcast, we'll be speaking to poker pro Jamie Christetter about the state of poker in Las Vegas. The schedule for this year's WSOP, why she chose poker over practicing law, and more. Uh, but first, we have our usual heavy dose of news to discuss this week. So let's get right to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of Gambling.
0: MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference welcomed a panel over the weekend called Skin in the Game, Sports Gambling's Emergence in the U.S. And quite a few interesting topics were broached, but by far the most newsworthy discussion centered around whether certain sports betting operators block or limit winning bettors. Uh, William Hill has taken lots of flack on this front. And William Hill U.S. CMO Sharon Otterman was on the panel and moderator Jeff Ma asked her some rather pointed questions, which she did her best to evade, while FanDuel Group President and COO Kip Levin chimed in pointing out that his company is much more open to sharp bettors than William Hill is reputed to be. It's a fairly complicated topic. I don't know that we can do it justice in a quick conversation on this podcast. uh, Someone who did do it some justice is pro sports better Captain Jack Andrews, who wrote about the value of sharp money in depth this week on U.S. bets. Uh, Definitely recommend everyone check that article out. Uh, But, John, what stood out to you from the panel discussion? And do you think it's good that so much light is now being shined on this subject?
1: Uh, I, I would say perhaps Kip implied that about Fanduel versus William Hill, but okay. he was di- he was diplomatic about it. So right. um, now, as a journalist for all my adult life, I always want more information. So I love this frank discussion. You know, I call it the 800-pound gorilla on a tweet. Um, everyone knows it's there if you're you're heavily into the industry, uh, and it's a it's a fair question. Um, the challenge was fair, and it was good to hear some responses. Whatever people may have thought of them uh, but my biggest takeaway though was both ottoman and levin referencing their obligation to limit or ban players when there appears to be a compulsive gambling issue uh, hmm. i don't doubt that some of the chatter right here others here is those players complaining about the action right you know what gambler's ever going to basically say oh i got banned because i'm so bad at this i'm losing tons of money they won't even take my money anymore uh instead what we know what they say i got banned because i'm just too damn good right so you know so realistically i think both things can be and presumably are true uh, much of the grousing we hear is coming from problem gamblers who are frustrated they can't make the next big score. Um, but as Jeff Ma noted, it's difficult to fathom each, any sports book really, taking on the heaviest hitters forever without setting some kind of limit. Uh, there are businesses, as Sharon pointed out. Uh, and let me also endorse that Captain Jack article, which, which really comes from within the belly of the beast on this issue more so than even anything we do.
0: Yeah, it was definitely entertaining to watch, at the very least, whatever your position on it. it. it... Uh, it, it was interesting to to watch this whole exchange and and I want to both commend and criticize jeff ma um I thought his handling of it was all very clunky. Like he wasn't great at focusing the conversation and uh, and asking a question as moderator and then getting out of the way. Uh, there was one one particular point which uh, you noted in your article about it, uh, where he uh, directed what seemed to be a question toward uh, one of the panelists, uh, Doug Kazarian, and then never actually asked a question. He just kind of rambled and moved on to the next thing. Uh, so that that would be my criticism. Um, but. He also showed some really commendable tenacity in staying on top of Otterman, like when she dodged a, a question, he kept asking.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't pretty at times, but uh, I'll, I'll sort of take the the clunky, uh forceful approach over some smooth antiseptic thing where it feels good and then when you uh sometimes you, you go back and listen to the tape. I remember this covering the NBA so many years. You think you had a great interview and then when you replay it it's like there's there's nothing there. There's no verbs right. in this in this conversation, <laughs> you know. So uh I'll I'll still take this overall.
0: Yeah. Um as for Otterman's side of things I wasn't buying anything she was selling. Uh, she she did everything short of yelling fake news uh, and, uh, you know, her saying that uh, if they banned a better, it must be for other reasons. Uh, she just wasn't believable to me. Um, she said they wanted they, she said they want people to win. And Ma asked a great follow up. Do you want them to win consistently? And she did a, a non-answer answer you want happy and satisfied customers. I found that exchange particularly uh, interesting to to watch unfold.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure um, I'm ever going to get a, uh, uh, hear an interview with a a sportsbook operator that's going to completely give me what I kind of want to want to hear. But I I think I learned some things from it. So like I said, I think it's a net positive.
0: Yeah. And this is certainly an issue that the sports betting industry needs to figure out. I, I just think it's, the, the idea of uh, limiting winners is one thing. Banning them outright is, is the next level. And I think it's a bad look. It it discourages people from playing. And, and just like in the Ocean Magic slots case that we discussed last week, this notion that you get punished if you beat the house, it's more and more prevalent. You know, you're allowed to be lucky. You're not allowed to be good. That's kind of the message the casino industry is sending. So it's it's important. And I'm glad that they brought it to light here.
1: Yeah, I'll just make one note. I've talked to David Rebuck about this. This is the uh, the director of the Division of Gaming Enforcement in New Jersey, who's one of the most influential uh, gaming people in, in the United States, certainly. Uh, yeah. He's told me he will not accept this idea that if you're winning too much, you're cut off from it. So in New Jersey, at least philosophically, um, they don't accept it. So uh, if there is a, a big bettor who who can document uh, exactly how they've been cut off just for winning, um, they may have a case and that may be a a topic for another day
0: right okay good something something to watch for there whether he can enforce that but that's certainly good to know that that's their attitude uh okay moving on uh you may recall that a few months ago on the podcast uh back in september we discussed fox sports one launching the first national daily tv show built around sports betting called lock it in well espn bided its time But the worldwide leader is now joining the fray. The network has announced the debut this coming Monday, March 11th, of Daily Wager, hosted by my fellow Brown University grad, Doug Kazarian. He'll have a deep roster of expert contributors, including one-time Gamble On guest David Purdom. And the way Kazarian explains the show, it sounds like it's going to be a mix of news and information, analysis, opinion, handicapping, a little of everything in the slick ESPN style we've grown accustomed to. The time slot is notable, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday, just before the basketball, hockey, or baseball games start. The exact network is also notable, ESPN News, not the most highly prioritized of the ESPN channels. Uh, How do you feel, John, about the time slot, the fact that it's on ESPN News, the fact that they're going to be trying to fill a full hour every day, just like Lock It In? And are you surprised ESPN waited this long to launch a show like this? Well, I mean,
1: Eric, first, I take this as ESPN's desperate attempt to try to grab a chunk of the growing gamble on podcast audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> and it won't work, damn it. But, um, right. People people,
0: re- people can do both. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I
1: might be reaching there a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So um, no, I think it ought to be a challenge for ESPN on how to handle this, um, roughing five hours of valuable airtime, uh, midday, early evening, to offer information about an activity that's illegal in 42 out of 50 states, basically. Hmm. So... Our various websites, we're focused on giving valuable intel to people in those states, whether supporters or opponents, on a likelihood of legal regulated sports betting coming to their state or to a neighboring state. That's one thing. I mean, not to be all Pollyanna here, but this isn't exactly parallel to daily fantasy sports where, rightly or wrongly, it's legal in far more states at this point. Mm -hmm. This is um, a national broadcast about uh, helping people better understand something that is illegal probably in their state.
0: Yeah, that, that's an important point, and I guess that they are counting on the progression continuing and it becoming illegal in fewer and fewer states as time goes on. Um, but it, it, you're, you're absolutely right to point out that at this point, they are uh, s- selling this idea to the to a, a minority of their audience that can actually act upon this information in a legal manner. Um I worry about filling an hour every day, Uh, you know, we'll know more next week once it debuts about how they're doing it, but in the handful of episodes of Lock It In that I watched, I felt like they were stretching 23 solid minutes of material over 47 minutes, Um, you know, they, they had a long interview segment that wasn't always worthwhile. They came back and made picks several different times over the course of the hour. And I don't hate the show, um, but I feel strongly that it would be better at 30 minutes. But I suspect ESPN will navigate that better because they're treating it more like SportsCenter, whereas Lock It In is more in the around-the-horn mold of television. On SportsCenter, you just cover all the news and comment on the more interesting stuff. I get the sense that that ESPN and Kazarian... Are going to make this work, but again, we'll we'll know more next week. And as for the ESPN News aspect, the fact that it's airing on that channel, I do feel like they're they're hedging their bets a little, to use to use a gambling cliche, and maybe that plays into your point uh, about. Sports gambling only being legal in eight states right now. Maybe uh, if it, if it were legal in more than half the country or something, this would be on ESPN, two instead of ESPN news.
1: Yeah, I, I do appreciate the dilemma. I really do. And um, I'm willing to give the show a fair shot. I, I think your concerns about the content is uh, well founded. But um, as you say, maybe they can pull it off. We'll see.
0: All right, for our final story this week, we'll zero in on a single state, my home state, Pennsylvania. There have been two significant pieces of news in PA in the past week. First, a Parks Casino hearing on Friday revealed that nobody expects online gaming to launch in the state any earlier than June. If anything, July might be more realistic. It's kind of amazing that online gaming was legalized in Pennsylvania in October 2017, and here we still are, waiting and waiting. But in more positive news, at a PGCB meeting on Wednesday, FanDuel got the green light to operate in the state. Valley Forge Casino will have a FanDuel-branded brick-and-mortar sportsbook. And more importantly, FanDuel will now have an online sports betting presence. And as we discussed last week, rival DraftKings likely will not. Uh, John, do you expect FanDuel to be the market leader in Pennsylvania? And do you want to wager a guess on when online gaming will, in fact, launch?
1: Yeah, certainly. I would expect FanDuel to jump out of the gate from day one uh, as the top uh, top dog and, and stay there based on the FanDuel and DraftKings model in New Jersey and how they've uh, outflanked the casinos and, and other operators so thoroughly. Um, Granted, online they got a break because their uh, their app was accepted uh, you know, a month or two before a lot of the others, um, which was a tough break. But that's uh, – they took advantage of it and they're going to keep it, and I think they've got it figured out now to do it in Pennsylvania. Um, so if that happens, casino operators in other states where there will be an option to bring in the DFS partner surely will look to go that route if they have any uh, common sense. Uh, yes. They might even – casinos might even compete with each other for that opportunity in in a state that has a lot of casinos and a lot of skins. So, um, as far as when it launches in Pennsylvania, I mean, they've already blown through the NFL, NCAA football season, NBA, March Madness already. Um, Mm -hmm. They will blow through that. Uh, I doubt regulars are going to feel much pressure to get All-Star Game Home Run Derby on the board in July. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty clear that's not how they roll. Uh, By August 1st, I think we're going to have a much better feel Whether that DOJ opinion on the Wire Act uh, Mm -hmm. that might cause some issues, whether that's so that's D-O-A-S-O-L, um, and that will provide our answer, I think, is when it's going to happen. Uh, I, I would guess by September 1st, but um, they're pretty deliberate over there in your state.
0: They certainly are. It, it is clear to me now that you always want to take the over in Pennsylvania on when something will launch. Um, so, yeah, that they're saying one says June, one says July. I'm not confident about even July. Um, I would be inclined to predict August, uh, but uh, you would certainly think – that it'll be there before football season. Uh, But yeah, you just never know in Pennsylvania. They really drag their feet on everything, uh, taking their time doing it the way they want to do it. And as for who could be the market leader in Pennsylvania, I do, like you, expect FanDuel to be a clear number one. Uh, You know, I think Parks will do okay. Sugar House will do okay. William Hill will have a foothold. But just based on what we're seeing in New Jersey so many sports bettors already have the FanDuel app on their phones. They know the brand. I'd be shocked if, if FanDuel isn't the clear leader in, in handle in Pennsylvania in 2019.
1: I would add, for another neighboring state in New Jersey, I, I imagine New York legislators being amazed at the breathtaking pace that Pennsylvania is going at. So it's all relative. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
0: It's not quite World Series of Poker season yet, but the World Series of Poker schedule was recently released in full, so you know we're getting close to WSOP season, and that's a good enough excuse for us to talk some poker on the podcast this week. Jamie Kerstetter is a poker pro, originally from New Jersey, now living and playing in Las Vegas. She's also a poker broadcaster, and she co hosts the LFG podcast with Chad Holloway, and she joins us now on our podcast. Jamie, welcome to Gamble On.
2: Oh, thank you. How's it going?
0: Going well, thanks. I assume that I envy the weather you're having in Las Vegas. It's got to be better than the East Coast, uh, although I guess uh, maybe not as much better as you expected when you first moved out there.
2: Yeah, we have like one rainy day today and I'm feeling sorry for myself, just (laughs) totally ignoring the fact that it's been covered in snow on the East Coast. Right. (laughs) Um, So uh,
0: poker players love a good prop bet. Uh, And you recently made an interesting one, a free roll of sorts. Bill Perkins will pay you $10,000 if you can go vegan for a full year. Uh, As we record this interview, you're exactly one month into the bet. How difficult have you found going vegan to be so far? And what's your confidence level that you can make the full year?
2: Um, The first week was the hardest, just like figuring out what the hell I could eat. Um, I was at the (laughs) grocery store for an hour and a half just reading labels. Um, and then it's been easier every day since then cause I have like certain staples that I eat every day. Um, the cravings are almost gone. Like mm. my housemates will make bacon. I'm like, damn, that smells really good. But that's the only time I'm thinking about it. Like when I'm eating later in the day, I'm not like, oh man, I really miss a steak or like whatever. Um, giving up like cheese and dairy has been a little bit hard, but I feel just so much better. I don't feel like sluggish. So I think there's a possibility I might've had some sort of like low grade food allergy to that. So so far, so good. I don't see myself quitting. Um, I think I love animals a lot, and I've always felt a little bit of cognitive dissonance over eating meat. So this hasn't been as difficult to give up as I thought. Hmm.
0: And, and do you think you're likely to remain vegan when the year is over? Or is it too yeah, soon to think about that?
2: I think so. I mean, I think I'd probably be someone who's like 95% vegan. Because there are certain things where I'm like, there are common sense things things that I would change like my housemates all got pizza and after it sat in the fridge for another day they like threw out two slices and I'm like well the harm's already done with that like <laughs> you're wasting food you know like if they're wasting food or like they all get like a rotisserie chicken and they're gonna throw out the last like 10 percent that's where I'm like the harm is done like the suffering's done cruelty or whatever and I do think that some of the foods that I'm giving up are like pretty healthy for your diet like lean meats and things like that so I think probably when the year is done, that's the kind of food that I'll like include back in my diet, but try to just not do any of the harm myself.
1: Gotcha. All right, sounds good, uh, Jamie. I remember you came to the office of the Bergen Record newspaper office, uh, my uh, former employer, about four or five years ago, to talk about online poker, and uh, you mentioned me at the time you. You briefly worked as an attorney before uh, exiting because it was so boring, and I didn't get a chance to follow up at that point. But uh, for any young, smart listeners out there who are thinking of (laughs) getting a law degree, um, what was so boring about it? And, I mean, granting any gig is boring compared to being a professional poker player, (laughs) but uh, what was so unappealing? (laughs) Um,
2: I think for me the choices were – like I'm more competitive – Than most people so i think i probably would have enjoyed being a litigator going to court and fighting for people and stuff but i also know that that was like the highest stress environment you could pick for lawyering so i went the other way and i was a trust and estates attorney but that just didn't suit my personality i was writing 30 page wills every day um with very little variance in the job like that's usually i'd show up at the office and spend 12 hours by myself drafting documents so that got to be a real drag and i couldn't imagine doing it for 30 years so i think what I would say to someone who's thinking about starting a law career is talk to a bunch of lawyers first. I didn't have any lawyers in my family and I didn't really know what I was getting into. I kind of just like did well on the LSAT and I was like, I'll go to law school and didn't realize like how expensive and how time consuming it was and that I really should have done way more research before choosing that path. Uh well as we noted, uh
0: you moved from Jersey to Vegas. I'm curious uh, what what the scene is like, you know, how many hours in, in a typical week are you playing live cash games? How many are you playing online cash games and just how vibrant are you finding either the live or online scene to be out there in Vegas?
2: Um, it's great out here, but for reasons that I like didn't expect. Like, I thought I was gonna come out here and the cash games would be amazing, and I'd be like a cash game live grinder, hopping from casino to casino. And really, the mid stakes cash grind is not great out here compared to other places I've been. Um, but the online tournament scene is good. Uh, the live tournament scene, like things that people won't travel for, like everyone comes into town and there's like a huge MSPT or like a big uh, like 3500 or something like that. But in between all those there have been so many tournaments at the win that are like $600 250k guarantees there's one tomorrow um there's a 1600 i think either 1 or 2 million dollar guarantee so these things that people don't necessarily like travel across the country for but i get to just drive 20 minutes down the street and play have been just awesome um and then another perk is i've gotten to do so many like commentary gigs for poker go just because i live here they're like hey you want to come in and do some uspo commentary and i was like sure and it's the kind of thing where When i was on the east coast they're not gonna fly me in and put me in a hotel and all that for these jobs so that was kind of an unexpected perk of living here
0: okay so just sort of being in the heart of uh of of where all the poker action is has just benefited you in 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 more ways than you saw coming for sure yeah
1: all right and jamie you know that wsop schedule has revamped i guess a bit this year um lower buy-in tournaments for example um uh, do you have a sense yet? Or, are these definitely good changes or is it too soon to tell? And and what are you hearing from fellow uh, pros about it?
2: Um, I was just going through it yesterday. I was talking to Jesse, Sylvia and Ashley Sleeth about it. And it's like kind of weird. The schedule, they just change so much at once. Yeah. And that's the only thing that I'm like a little bit resistant to like drastic changes because everyone loves WSOP and it drives a ton of people there and they're like gimmicky tournaments like the Millionaire Maker, the Marathon, uh, the Colossus have like driven people out here in numbers like so I don't know why they would change so much at once. Um, it's obviously good for people like me. I'm not a high roller. I probably have an average buy in around a thousand dollars. So, I mean, the schedule looks amazing to me. I'm just wondering exactly how it's going to be received by everyone else, including rack players and If it's going to be too much of a strain on them, because with like so many more playable tournaments and so many more reentries available, I could see a lot of people going broke on a schedule like this.
1: Yeah. And last thing, uh, uh, I don't know if you think about this each year, but do do you really focus on if I win a bracelet this year, what would it mean for my career? I mean, are you hyper focused on that or, or not as much?
2: Um, I don't even think about it anymore. I like, I guess I just embrace the variance. I'm not like, ooh, if I study really hard and I play this many events, I have a chance. I don't think about it. I, I just think like if I put myself in the position at a final table, I'd give myself a good chance and it would be an amazing career accomplishment. But I also like understand tournament poker better now and know that like I don't have quite as much control over that as I'd like.
0: All right. Well, hopefully uh, this is the year. Uh, there, are, there are, I believe, eighty nine events on the calendar. So, just Jeez. on a on a pure <laughs> numbers uh, sense, uh, you, you may have a better chance uh, than than you've had in the past.
2: And the uh, online ones. That's what I'm excited right. about there's so many online events that's a positive change for sure i know that there's been some rumblings from people about oh the bracelets are losing their luster because they have so many different events and so many online events and small buy-ins and whatever but as a poker pro who enjoys online poker and i very much miss the old days of online poker i'm excited that i can win a bracelet that way awesome
0: all right well thanks so much for joining us jamie uh, i should let all the listeners know uh, you can find jamie on twitter at jamie kerstetter if you're into a mix of poker talk humor and pictures of cute dogs uh, jamie's <laughs> twitter feed is a must follow uh so good luck with uh, the rest of the vegan bet uh, as well as with the poker great talking to you jamie
2: thanks nice talking to you guys too
1: two men, two men. ten
0: thousand dollars
1: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
0: Time to update our bankroll, and John strapped me on his back and carried me this week. As he went 2-for-2, I went 0-for-1. My losing bet was on the Warriors to cover last Thursday against Orlando. They lost outright, so I'm glad I didn't make a money line bet, which I considered. Uh, we would have lost even more money had I done that. But as it stands, we dropped $110 there. But John more than made up for it. He risked $110 to win $100. On Ricky Fowler to finish in the top 10, which Fowler did with Room to Spare, finishing tied for second in the Honda Classic. Uh, and John risked another $110 to win another $100 on the AAF's Memphis Express to cover as six-and-a-half-point underdogs. And again, John won with Room to Spare as Memphis beat the San Diego Fleet outright, 26-23. to 23. So we won $90 overall, meaning we're now up $1,563. And we have 750 on hold in futures bets, leaving us $10,813 available to bet with this week. And John, you're up first.
1: Uh, yeah, I was back in the winner's circle on the golf and handily, so uh, uh, if it ain't broke, I won't fix it. Um, <laughs> the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week, and again in flor- South Florida, uh, brings us a far deeper field than last week, so top 10 picking is would be a little daunting, I think. Um, I had a hunch I'd love the odds on Aussie Mark Leishman, and I do. Uh, he has fo- top five finishes in five of his last eight events, uh, and he won at the same course here t- uh, just two years ago, yet I can go 150 to win 225 just for him to finish in the top 20, um, so I well,
0: All right. Good bet. Um, I'm up uh, and I'm going to follow something that worked for me in the past. Uh, this this worked with Julian Edelman for the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, I'm going to follow that strategy again and place a bet that I don't believe will win, but I think it's the right bet to make based on the odds uh, this Saturday. In the boxing world, there's an interesting light heavyweight fight between the unbeaten and highly skilled Dimitri Bivol and the less skilled Joe Smith Jr. Smith, however, is dangerous. A couple of years ago, as a big underdog, he knocked out Andrew Fanfara in one round, and then, again as an underdog, he ended the career of Bernard Hopkins, knocking him not just out, but out of the ring. Uh, Bivol is the better fighter, but much like the famous Hasim Rahman-Lennox Lewis upset, the odds are too wide. You know, I, I didn't know that night that Rachman was going to win, but I knew he was a good bet. Uh, same thing here. To me, Joe Smith should be about 7-1 to one or 8-1 to one maybe. On FanDuel, he's currently plus 1050. Uh, as a guy who can hurt anyone, if he lands cleanly, he's worth betting on. So I'm doing a $50 long shot bet to win $525 on Joe Smith Jr.
1: All right. Got to love the puncher's chance. I get it. So, yep. uh, yeah, I like the Birmingham iron in AF football this weekend um, to upset the unbeaten Orlando Apollos. But I'm looking at the futures market uh, on this, really. So if I'm right, then am I risking 100 to win 430 on the iron, as I will, to win the 18 championship? It gives me the Eastern Conference co-leader in a 14 playoff scenario at Pretty long odds. If the Iron lose this weekend, I still expect them to make the playoffs where anything can happen. So, uh, Which reminds me, did you see the Bears signed this week uh, to replace kicker uh, Cody Double Doink uh, Parky?
0: <laughs> I did not. Uh,
1: the new guy's last name is Blewett. <laughs> no kidding. I love that.
0: Wow, that's that's bold. <laughs> <laughs> but wh- I gotta say, you're really uh, you're really following this AAF stuff. I uh, I really I haven't watched a, a minute of a, a game yet, to be perfectly honest. But uh, you're out here picking winners for the championship and everything.
1: It's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it.
0: <laughs> All right, for our final bet uh, this week, despite my loss with Golden State, I'm trying the day of NBA bet again, although. If this one loses, even though two games is still a small sample size, uh, if this one loses, I'll quit betting on NBA games like this through the end of the regular season. Uh, There are only two games on the slate tonight. And I like one of them a lot. The Indiana Pacers are getting 10 and points against the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's too much, even in Milwaukee. First off, the Pacers continue to play excellent basketball without Victor Oladipo. Second, the Bucks are in a bit of a funk for the first time this season, coming off consecutive losses to the Jazz and the Lowly Suns. Uh, third, the Bucks have failed to cover as double-digit home favorites three of the last four times. And fourth... The Pacers are 6-3 and three against the spread in their last nine games as double-digit road dogs. All that adds up to this being good enough for me. I'm risking $110 to win $100 on the Pacers to cover as 10.5-point underdogs tonight. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore bets. Go to USbets.com dot com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. And with that, John, uh, that's Brennan, not Belushi. Uh, please do the honors <laughs> and take us out.
1: Uh, Eric, I'll bet in your uh, uh, sleep deprived condition, you didn't know that daylight savings time is going to kick you an overnight Saturday. Uh, <laughs> Just what I need. Will. Yeah, exactly. I uh, mean, spring forward, so you lose another hour so of sleep. So good for you. Um, you know, this used to occur on the first Sunday in April rather than the second Sunday in March from 1987 to 2006. And if you wonder why the change, you know, no one will admit it, but. While people are aware of Big Pharma or Big Oil, right? there's another group with enormous lobbying power behind the scenes like Capitol Hill. I call it Big Rotisserie. And countless rotisserie and fantasy baseball league auctions and drafts would get disrupted over those years because there would always be that one owner who didn't get the DST memo. So it took 20 years but finally Big Rotisserie got its favor done. And millions of us are pleased to be represented by such powerful insiders so we don't have to worry about this crazy hour change uh, interrupting our first week of April fantasy and rotisserie baseball drafts. And with that wisdom, until next time, gamble on.